The reading this morning is 2 Samuel chapter 7. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a place of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from, the fl- fo- and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all of your enemies from before you. Now, now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest ones of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them any more as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. You will will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by human beings, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for your life-giving word. Give us the ears to hear what you would say to us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as as hopefully you picked up from the video, uh, a lot has been happening in the last week, or at least in the time that we've uh, travelled from where we were last Sunday as we looked at the life of Saul to where we are now as we think about David. Joe reminded us last week with the story of Saul of the significance of, of music in bringing comfort and solace. So since then, David, the king in waiting, has been subject to Saul's angry outbursts, becoming pretty adept 
at dodging flying javelins. <laughs> He's resisted the temptation to kill Saul when the opportunity was presented to him on a plate, and Saul has met a grisly end at his own hands. And then at the beginning of 2 Samuel, we find David lamenting the death of both his king, Saul, and his friend, Jonathan. We see him anointed as king himself, and we see him conquering the city of Jerusalem. And we land this morning in chapter 7. It may not be as familiar as David versus Goliath, or even the story of David and Bathsheba, but it's massively significant in Scripture as we gain insight into God's plans and God's purposes for his people, with a hint of the Messiah to come. And once again, as we uh, go into this passage this morning, it's important that we remember who these stories are ultimately about. So each week we've looked at an individual human being. We've looked at Hannah, we've looked at Samuel, we've looked at Saul, and today we look at David. We've learned something of their character and of their human frailty. But ultimately, this has been God's story and his purposes. And that is so important for us to grasp and to hold on to. Because we have a tendency to put human beings on pedestals. If you were a teenager growing up in the 1960s, maybe you had Beatles posters, or in the later part of the decade, the England football team on your bedroom wall. In the 1970s, it might have been Led Zeppelin or ABBA. In the 1980s, it might have been Ian Botham or Madonna. Today, it might be Marcus Rashford or Taylor Swift. Apologies to those who grew up as teens in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, because I've no idea what you had on your bedroom walls. <laughs> We've lived through a period recently of personality politicians. When a celebrity, a Christian celebrity, speaks out about their faith, they're paraded as a great role model for all Christian teenagers and, and adults growing up. But these are all frail and flawed human beings, and ultimately following them can lead to disappointment. And so our adulation and our worship has to be Godwards. And whilst the stories of individuals inform and inspire, they pale into insignificance within the overarching story of God. Even next weekend, we have to be a little bit careful. We're celebrating Joe and Sean's amazing ministry amongst us over the last 19 years, but ultimately we're celebrating God's faithfulness and his work in and through them. And so with that in mind, we delve into 2 Samuel chapter 7. And we're going to do so briefly under three headings, splitting the passage down. So the first seven verses, verses 1 to 7, we're asking about good ideas or God ideas. Good ideas or God ideas. In verses 8 to 11, see what God has done. And then in the remaining part of this particular passage, thinking about God's sovereign purposes. So that's where we're heading. Has anyone had a good idea recently? No one in the 915 congregation seems to have had any good ideas. I don't know if you know anyone here might have done. David had a good idea. Well, at least he thought it was a good idea. It was a perfectly reasonable one too. 
Things had calmed down a bit, all was peaceful, and David had time to think. And this came into his mind. Why should the Ark of the Covenant, the great symbol of God's presence, a place of his dwelling, be held in a tent when David himself lived in a great palace? I know he thinks, I'll build a temple, a permanent home for God. Sounded okay, it was a positive, faithful, faith-filled gesture. Nathan the prophet thinks it's a pretty good idea as well. He says, go ahead and do it. The Lord is with you. But this wasn't a God idea. It was just a good idea. The time wasn't right and David wasn't the person for the job, as God points out to Nathan in a dream. Because not all good ideas are God ideas. We need to take time to discern what God might be saying in any given situation. If we think about our lives, perhaps one of the uh, areas where this can be most true is in the area of relationships where our head and our heart are running ahead of ourselves. Is this a good idea or is this a God idea? A pure motivation and a reasoned reflection on our prior knowledge of God and his character doesn't necessarily mean that we've hit on inspiration. And the gift of discernment is such a crucial, undervalued gift to prevent us being led down a blind alley. And in this case, God had other ideas for David. But it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to tell between a good idea and a God idea. Sometimes we need to push the door gently to test a good idea. Always asking the question, though, what are you saying in this, Lord? Where are you leading? Is this a good idea or is it your idea? Let's look at the middle chunk of this passage. See what God has done. Just in case... David has got any sort of inflated sense of his own self-importance, God prompts the prophet Nathan to remind him of where he's come from and what God has planned. And so you may have picked it up as Maggie read to us, as God says, I took you from the pasture. Remember David, you were that little shepherd boy, called out to be king my calling. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And now I will make your name great and I will provide a place for my people Israel. You see, it's never about us. It's always about God. There's that verse in the New Testament, isn't there? If you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. It's when we fall into that trap of thinking it's all about us and that we're in charge, we're in control. Elsewhere in the New Testament, don't think about yourself more highly than you ought. And a reminder in Proverbs 16 of pride coming before a fall. And both Saul and David experienced the reality of that, of course. Saul, as he became jealous of David 
And David, as pride and lust, got him into a mighty tangle with adultery and eventually murder in the story of Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. One of the verses in scripture that means most to me is Galatians 2 verse 20, which reads, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. A trusted mentor always used to shorten that and sum that verse up in four words. Not I, but Christ. That's a pretty good catchphrase. Not I, but Christ. What we see here is not just a reminder of God's sovereignty, but of his covenant promise, reinforcing the covenant with Abraham centuries earlier. God has been faithful, and God will be faithful. God is making a covenant with David. It's God's initiative, it's God's promise, and it's God's faithfulness. And so that's unpacked further in the third section as we think about God's sovereign promises. David, like every one of us, is mortal, but God's plans and purposes stretch far beyond him to a distant horizon. And he reassures David of what is to come. And it's a section of scripture that works on two levels. In the immediate context, it looks towards David's son, Solomon, who would be his successor as king. He would be the one to build a temple. He would lead the nation forward. But there's also something of a messianic dimension in here. As we look down David's family line, we're pointed to Jesus himself. As we sing every Christmas, and you're very grateful that I'm not going to sing because of COVID regulations, <laughs> to you in David's town this day is born of David's line, a saviour who is Christ the Lord, and this shall be the sign. There's some really important wordplay going on throughout this, uh, this passage. God is telling David that he is not to build a house in terms of a building for God, but God will build a house in terms of a dynasty for David. And once again, we're reminded it's God's work, not David's. It's God's ideas, not David's good ideas. If we're to read on, we'd see David's grateful response to God's message. And so verses 18 to 29 of 2 Samuel chapter 7 is overwhelmed by God's love and faithfulness. He recognises his own unworthiness in the face of God's provision and God's purposes. And so the three angles I've drawn out this morning are good ideas or God ideas. See what God has done and God's sovereign purposes. But I think the three headlines of this mini-series over the last few weeks were actually summed up pretty well at the end of that 2 Samuel video on a slide that you probably didn't catch because it was glitching all over the place. But it's one that hopefully will appear on the screen in a few moments, which reminds us of what was happening in the story of Hannah. But it also continues through the rest of these books. Three themes that have come out quite strongly in these last few weeks. 
God opposes the proud and exalts the humble. Despite human evil, God is at work. And God will raise up a messianic king. Has raised up a messianic king. God was faithful, God is faithful, God will be faithful. Let's hold on to those truths. To him be the glory. Amen.